0: title of the message is Needed People of Vision. Why? Why do we need people of vision? Well, because today in America, we have a low view of God, an even lower view of God's children. The visible church has emasculated God in a crazy, futile effort to make him more easygoing, more palatable, and much more politically Correct. And in doing so, we have watched our Heavenly Father get grossly distorted. Distorted distorted so far, he is now unrecognizable in some circles to the words of Scripture. So the average church has done what is needed to accommodate this heresy. Weak people, knee-bending people. Some of them have now even rejected the Bible in one way, shape, or form. And when I say rejected the Bible, what I'm talking about is they've downplayed it, they've twisted it, they take it out of context, reduced its authority in many cases, straight up rejection of it altogether. All the while claiming to be a church, claiming to be seeking after God or Jesus or my favorite, the Spirit. Division in our country because of this is at an all-time high. And we are currently, by the way, being invaded. Do you know that? And what little good is left in our country can't stop the invasion. I'm not talking about some migrant farm workers crossing the border at our south. No, 2022, 2.78 million people came across. What's the population of Iowa? 2023, they don't even have the number, but they feel it's much, much more. Like double? No, probably triple. It's an invasion. It's now being reported that tens of thousands of these that are invading are actually Chinese nationals. Remember that spy balloon that got ignored? Can you connect the dots? It's not what we do here, but in a minute I'm going to explain to you why I bring it up. But make no mistake, the invasion of the United States of America Is happening right now and it's accelerating Now get this, get this The Bible is clear That how this will go and how any nation will go Lies directly with the people who are called by God And how they act There's no reason for America to even still be here God's judgment would have been justified long ago but we're here because there are people of God that are doing what I'm going to share with you today. They are people of vision. And what do people of vision do? We're going to find out. Look how they pray, how they live in such times. There is no group of people that can, that can determine the coming years of a nation like God's people. So we are now desperate for people of vision. Emily and I have gone all in on this over the last five to 10 years, and it led us here. So what does that say about you? Keep in mind for every weak person that was associated with this church, every faker, everyone that was delusional, there's two or three that have it. And God says, I want you to do what I'm calling you to do. It's time for us to take seriously what we can affect and how we can be a part of the solution. And it starts with the prayers, the push for revival, and the restoration of God in his people, the people of Christ. And let me tell you something. We have a great shot at doing our part here at FEC. We have a solid foundation. It's not perfect, but we have some momentum. I know it. So today I want to look at Nehemiah and I want to work this out with you guys over the next 20 minutes or so. Nehemiah chapter one. It's a long run. Stay with me. Have your Bibles open. Let's get into it. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev. by the way, that's November, December for us, if you're curious. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Do you understand that in ancient times this is, is bad? This is really bad. Verse four. This is Nehemiah talking now. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. Verse 9. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by then then even if you are exiles to the end of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Verse 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hands are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Delight in honoring you. Did you get that from Roth today? Delight in honoring him. Right after Getting all ticked off, and Ross doesn't get mad very often. But what he told me is that he like destroyed his notebook. You seeing it here? Things frustrate us. Things frustrate us. They get us down. Verse eleven. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. That's God's people. Uh, Chronicles 7.14 is often quoted, if my people who are called by my name, that's what's going on here. Nehemiah's on his knees just crying out to God. It's a big deal what happened to Jerusalem. And he says, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And then he ends verse 11 with these words, in those days I was the king's cupbearer. Do you see it? Can you feel it? The people of Judah in the city of Jerusalem were in a terrible condition. Over 150 years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon invaded Israel and had carried away many of the people as slaves. The Jews desperately needed someone who had the vision needed to restore Jerusalem and Israel to her former glory. They needed someone who was different. They needed someone who had been captured by God and was set on fire by his spirit and didn't care who knew it. They needed a person of vision if they were going to see their situation changed. And God had such a man, his name was Nehemiah. And he was being prepared by God to be a vessel, to be used in a great way to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to bring about the restoration of the nation of Israel. Now you and I are a thousand years removed, thousands of years removed from the time of Nehemiah. But we also live in a nation that desperately needs people of vision. We live in a day when the walls of morality and virtue in our society have been torn down and the gates of decency are aflame all around us. And my Jerusalem and your Jerusalem are not necessarily the same thing because many of us are not going to influence a whole city of people or a whole country of people, but what is your influence? God's calling you to rebuild that Jerusalem. See, it is clear to anyone paying the least bit of attention that the visible church in our day is a mere shell of itself, of its former self. Some of us grew up in the church. I've been speaking in churches all over the country. I mean, we counted it up one time. I've spoken in 36 different states and over 250 different churches over 25 to 30 years. What a blessing on one hand, but I've, I've seen it. I've seen churches that are nothing more than little spiritual country clubs where everybody pours Gatorade on their head and they have no clue who Jesus really is. See, the gates of glory that identified the church as the house of God have been burned by the flames of sin and tarnished by the blight of apathy. Apathy. Love has indeed grown cold. We need people of vision. We can become people of vision. We can become people God uses for his, his glory in these days to make a difference for his name's sake. And it starts with every one of you here and every one of you watching online and anyone listening to the Salvage by God podcast around the country, around the world. As we look at these verses today, there are three simple facts presented here to teach us how to become people of vision. I want to look at those facts together. Let's start with point number one. Point number one, people of vision encounter problems. I don't like this one. I have an idea of how things should go, and it would just be really cool if God would just listen to me. But he knows so much more than me. His ways are so much higher than my way. But look at Nehemiah's life at the beginning of this. Don't miss this. There was a calmness. The life Nehemiah lived as the king's cupbearer was a life of peace, prosperity, even political power. This was a big job he had. His job was to not only taste all the food that was being brought to the king to make sure the king didn't get poisoned, but he would have been one of the most trusted men in the kingdom with this title, in that era, in in that culture. It's fascinating to study. The king would have looked to Nehemiah for advice from time to time. His was a life of great serenity and ease. Nehemiah was living the good life. I miss the good life. It was fun. I don't want the good life anymore because instead I want Jesus. And in the good life with Jesus, you have some great days, but it doesn't go the way you plan a lot of times. And in verse two and three of our text today, his peace and serenity was shattered by a visit from his brother. Our peace and serenity gets shattered by some of the things we see in our culture, some of the things we see in our family, some of the things we see in our nation. He brought news that the people of Israel were being afflicted by their enemies and that the city of Jerusalem was completely devastated. Now I find it amazing how life can be perfect one minute and can fall to pieces the next. There's country western songs and pop songs that talk about that one phone call changes everything, right? When Nehemiah hears this awful news, his heart breaks and he enters into a time of what? Fasting, weeping, prayer before the Lord. Instead of being happy in his position, his life is shattered and brought to his knees. And I hear story after story after story of people who've gone through this. Emily and I can tell you our own stories about getting shattered, And sometimes it's career, sometimes it's loved ones passing away, sometimes it's illness, sometimes it's circumstance behind beyond your control. Sometimes you're a victim of assault. There's all kinds of stuff where things will bring you to your knees. And many times it's confusing. So I ask you: is this how God forms people of vision? Yeah, it is. Many times. He knows how to stir us up when we become complacent, and he knows how to get our hearts and minds on the things that truly matter. In our country, there is so much going on. They want to kill us. They want to kill us. There was a report released about three months ago, four months ago, that the new world order has the population decrease of all the countries, especially in the West. Every European country has a different percentage. You want to know what America's is? 71%. They want to reduce America's population by 71%. You know when they want to have that accomplished by? Fall of 2025. For Nehemiah, the innocent question he asked in verse 2 was to be pivotal for the moment in his life. The very fact that he cared about people of Israel enough to even ask the question is evidence. God's already working in this dude. God's already getting into his heart. But when when he hears the response, it brings him to his knees before his God, the only one who can help him. You see, God wanted to restore Jerusalem, but he needed a man to bring that vision to pass. God wants to restore the things in our world too, not just our country, not just the other stuff that's the bigger picture that I'm trying to share with you, but the smaller picture. The smaller picture of your relationships, your finances. God wants to restore those things. He's a God of resurrection. And He might not do it the way we want it to be done. And sometimes we just like to hold on to what we got. A lot of my prayers is don't let what Emily and I have get broken. Don't let it get broken, Lord. Protect it. So I already have it, but I'm scared it's going to attack. If you're trying to do something for Jesus and you are married, let me tell you something. Protect your marriage. So in Nehemiah's day, the news from Jerusalem was called for him to be involved in what God wanted to do. When God stirs up his heart, that is his call for you to become involved with him in what he is about to do. And sometimes that doesn't look like the way we want it to look like. Now when that call comes, people respond in different ways. Isaiah responded in a way that has impacted hundreds of thousands of missionaries down through the line. It's in Isaiah 6:8. Let's look at it. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Well, if it's gonna cost you your life, Isaiah? Here I am, send me. Others, like Jonah, tried to run from the call of God in their lives. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through, through, through 3, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amidai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. You think it would have been any easier for Jonah than it is for us to announce judgment on a nation? There are people that have heard me talk for the last 10 minutes. They're like, "I don't, I can't listen to that guy. People don't want to hear it. Verse three, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, (laughs) hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Apparently God's not in Tarshish. Still others, like Moses, see the vision, but then they try to take matters into their own hands and they do the job their own way and in their own time. In Exodus chapter 2, you see Moses do this as he wants to help his blood brothers, but he messes it all up. And then if you go to chapters 3 through 15, you'll see that he fails and he's brought to a place where he has to wait on God to get the job done the right way. And 3 through 15 tell the tale of Moses getting it correct with God. That's what I'd like for us to all do together. Let's keep getting it right with God. Some of us have it right. But let me tell you something, every time you have it right with God, it doesn't last. Because... We still have this flesh nature, you know? It's like, well, I want my bucket filled with the Holy Spirit. That's great, but you leak. So come back and get refilled. The Bible says, daily in keeping with repentance, his mercies are renewed, right? Just remember, God knows how to get your attention. And sometimes he'll get your attention and my attention in different ways, but he still gets it if we are sold out to him we are surrendered our lives to christ he is our lord you know we've gone down in the water in death with christ we've come out to new life and this new life is dedicated to jesus he will get your attention when he stirs up your heart and places a burden in your inmost being don't hesitate but go with him into whatever he calls you to do he has a great plan And nothing is greater than being allowed to be a part of that plan. I've been here for 19 months. You can go back over all 19 months and you can say one thing about me. If I see God moving in your life, I encourage you and give you an opportunity. I'm a participation guy. You wanna preach some Sunday? Come see me, let's work it out. You wanna sing? Let's get you with Mary and see if you're any good. I mean, thank God I don't go to Mary and say, I'd like to sing and I'm the pastor. It'd be awful. You want to help with the AV? Let's do it. In this group of people, we should not have the struggle with volunteers we have. That's why the blue connection card is out. I need to update the database. I don't want your email to be one digit off or your phone number to be one digit off. I I want to know who our people are. Why? Because I pray for you. And I don't pray for you because it's my job or my vocation. I pray for you because God lays it on my heart. You wanna know, about two weeks ago, for about a week, I couldn't go to God in prayer without praying for Cody and Luke doing the hero thing in their patrol cars because how cold it was and how many people needed them. I didn't wanna pray for those guys per se. That's what God does. God prompts you to start praying for different people. Start praying for them. And most of all, and this is a little selfish, pray for me. I need it. God has a great plan and nothing is greater than being allowed to be a part of that plan. And it may start with just being a greeter. It may start with just being part of furnace room prayer time that's 9.15 to 9.30 every Sunday. It might be, you know, joining Ross in the food ministry. He's pretty particular. You gotta like chicken. (laughs) Let's go to point number two. (laughs) People of vision exercise prayer. People of vision exercise prayer. Verse four through 11 really sums it up. As Nehemiah goes before the Lord in prayer, he sets the example for other people who would be people of vision. He teaches us how to come before the Lord in prayer. He starts by saying, look, this is gonna involve praise. Praise. You gotta, you gotta start with praise. You gotta count your blessings. I need to lament to you, Lord. I need to talk about how much things are rotten, how you let me down, how I wish it was different. But first, I gotta praise you. I gotta come to you in prayer. Nehemiah begins his prayer by exalting the Lord. Listen to me now. He praises God for his superiority, his strength, his sovereignty, his sacredness, and his sincerity. And he praises God for who he is. For those of you taking notes, I'll hit it with you one more time because it's a lesson we need to learn. He comes and prays to God for his superiority, for his strength, for his sovereignty, for his sacredness, and for his sincerity. He praises God for who he is. After all, this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six. Also, Psalm 100.4, we're not getting into them. I just had them down there if you wanna jot them down and look them up later. Because Visionary praying involves tenacity and resolve. It says in verse six, Nehemiah prayed day and night, day and night. He got before the Lord and prayed until the answer came. Part of what I wanted to pray for Cody and Luke is because I couldn't stand how cold it was. And I thought, I know I'm not a young man anymore, but even if I was, this is a hard deal for them. Keep them safe, Lord. Keep them. And you know, I know that you're gonna put people in their lives, Lord. For those of you visiting or online and don't know, these are one of our deputy sheriffs and and one of our highway patrolmen. And there might be others that attend this church. If you you do and I don't know that you have that job, forgive me. Let me know and I'll start praying for it. You know what I'd like? I would like for like seven or eight of us to get together, I don't know, once a month, and just pray for our first responders all around Shelby County. I don't know, I don't know if I can fit that in my schedule. Man, Chris, you're just always browbeating us to do stuff. (laughs) Day and night, Nehemiah went to God because Jerusalem was burning. He got before the Lord and prayed until the answer came. That is the kind of praying we need to have demonstrated in our day. Not the kind of prayer that will stop after a time or two, but the kind of prayer that goes to God and stays before God until it has what it came after. Write this down, Luke chapter 18. You wanna see what Jesus called us to do? Luke chapter 18, I'll just read you verse one. It's not gonna be on the screen. Um, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus goes on to tell the story of a widow who kept asking the judge to give her justice. That's our king, that's our savior telling us how we're supposed to be. Think about it now. Prayer that is born out of genuine burden, listen now, prayer that is born out of genuine burden cannot be satisfied until it's answered, one way or the other. If we can pray for something once or twice and then forget about it, we should ask ourselves whether or not we are truly praying from a burdened heart. And I'm not talking about, you know, bless Aunt Sheila with her surgery coming up and, and you know, be with the pastor and, and you, know, I, you know, this person. I'm talking about those burdens Maybe when your country's being invaded. Verses 6b, uh, the second half of verse 6 and verse 7, we we're talking about praying involves like a contriteness, like a brokenness. As this man prays, as Nehemiah prays, he begins to confess his sins as an individual, but he doesn't even stop there. He confesses the sins of his people as a nation. He doesn't stop there. He even starts confessing the sins of his father's. We see here a man who has got a repentant heart. Folks, this is essential to seeing our prayers answered. It's essential. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen 18 says this. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's important to understand here that Nehemiah was not just interested in talking about where others had gone wrong. Oh, Lord, if it wasn't for these losers who do me wrong. No, Lord, what did I do? What was my problem in this situation? How can I repent of it? And there's so many fill in the blanks, whatever's going through your head right now if you're thinking about yourself, that's the one. He's also willing to see where he himself had completely missed the boat with God in a lot of these other areas. And repentance is about me getting my heart right with God. We're praising God and we're confessing our sins. And then in verses eight and 10, visionary praying comes with promises. Now Nehemiah began to remind God of the promises He had made to Israel, promises to punish their sins and restore them if they're in the event of their repentance. Let me tell you something. One of the big stick in the grounds that you might have as a Christian is when someone repents and you don't want to forgive them or restore them. I'm not talking about forgive and forget. No, there's some things that I will never forget. And I don't think God wants me to forget. But I can have forgiveness. Even if without repentance, I can still have forgiveness for my own sake. But if somebody genuinely repents, genuine forgiveness from the child of God is not an option. And if you struggle with that, God will give you the strength and you will see the goodness in it. Why? Because you've been forgiven so much. See, when prayer is based squarely on the word of God, squarely, and founded upon the promises of God, the one praying can be sure that he will have the things he is praying for. Why? Because God has staked his reputation on the accuracy of his word. He has promised us that his promises will always be fulfilled. But don't forget, his ways are higher than our ways. A lot higher. Visionary prayer, if we go to verse 11 to bring it home and head towards point number three today. Visionary prayer involves others and it involves specific requests. Let me just cover this real quick. As Nehemiah prays, he reminds God he isn't the only one involved in this prayer effort He might have been the one destined to be the star of the show, but he knew that he was part of a larger team effort in prayer. Let me encourage you to get with as many people as possible involved in praying for you and praying with you. The Lord has told us there is power in corporate prayer. Matthew 18, if you're taking notes. We have something here, and I told this to the elder board. I'll tell it to anybody. You want to see how successful Fresh Encounter Church is going to be? We have one thing that is going to stand above everything else. And that's what happens at 9.15 down the hall in the classroom. We call it the furnace room. We don't have Sunday school here. Can't you come at 9.10? You don't have to pray. Just go and sit and listen. In your mind, ask God to bless it. They don't pray for Aunt Sheila's surgery. They pray that God would move in this service. There was like 15 people. It was like Woodstock down there last week. And the power of my message was way beyond what I had prepared or what I do as an orator. I'm not that good. I'm just a dude from Minnesota. I'm just a dirty-faced kid from the trailer park. And somebody calls me up crying that they heard the message and God changed their life. You think that was me? Guess again. That's God. And what's, what gets God going? Corporate prayer. Prayer. Instead of Sunday school, come at 9.10. 15 minutes, you still have time for donuts and and hanging out and getting a seat and all that? I challenge you. Change this culture by having this church be the light that it's been called to be and it's gonna come from all of y'all volunteering and showing up at 9.15 down the hall. That's it. Specific request. That's my specific request to God. And I'm letting you know that I'm praying that every day. Oh, I don't know. I just, that, that's not really my thing. Really? God knows how to prevail with man, but man must first prevail in front of the Lord. And so at this moment, the specific request that Nehemiah is making is that the Lord will give him grace in the sight of the king. Certainly prayer ought to be the expression of our needs before the Lord. The, Jesus is interested in his people coming to him by faith to ask for things they have need of. You think that chicken showed up here because, because we just, just some sort of quirky thing so we could have a testimony? No, our ministry guy was broken and he gave it to God. And then God did something. I see that all the time, and it's awesome. It's better than any drugs, it's better than any alcohol. It's better than anything else you can do, self-pleasuring, is when that spirit of God makes it well with you to your core, and you see Him doing stuff. It's, it's unbelievable. And he may already know what we need, but he still wants us to ask. The faith involved in our prayers honor him greatly. See? We have a little ministry board that I put together because these people are gonna really help shape where we're gonna put our efforts. We can't do everything, but when we do outreach, what can we do? And I also want them to influence what sermon series I preach in 2024. And so I asked them a couple different ones and I got to this one, I said, um, and they all had to do blind votes and they only had 10 seconds to decide. So it was like straw poll, first thing. I said, "What, what would you like a sermon series three to five messages on? Uh, you got the following three choices, prayer, biblical worship, or end times. 85% picked end times. They didn't know it was a trick question because to survive in the end times, you have to know about prayer and biblical worship. (laughs) So I'm sorry, that's like a lame theological gotcha. (laughs) Point number three, the second half of verse 11, and we're bringing it home, this isn't long. Uh, We'll be done in just a minute. People of vision embrace divine intervention. Any accident? Ross shared that story today. That happened three weeks ago. He wanted to share it a couple weeks ago, and I said, no, it's just not the right time, because, I mean, he thought of it right in the middle of the service. I said, next week, next week. Well, he wasn't here next week, so we had to wait till this week. Is that an accident? Did we strategize that? Well, Ross, if you share that chicken story, that'll go hand in glove with my message. No. I didn't even think of this Nehemiah thing till like Tuesday. You were supposed to get the last of the David series because that's done. And I had a busy week if you didn't have a, if you didn't hear, there was a conference here for three straight days. See now, the final statement in Nehemiah Nehemiah in verse 11 seems to indicate that he felt the weight of the assignment. He knew that who he was, where he was, at that moment was no accident. Position is no accident. Regardless of your position in life, whether at church, at work, at school, at home, you need to know that it is no accident if you are a child of God. God has placed you where he has you for a purpose. He has placed you where you are for his purposes. There are no accidents or coincidences with God. You are where you are for his glory. By the way, there's another sub-point. That was subpoint A. This is subpoint B. Prosperity is no accident. The resources you have been given are not yours by dumb luck. They have been given to you by the province of God to be used for His glory if you belong to Him. Find out what He would have you do with what you have. And it's easy for me to say that because I've gone all in over the last seven to ten years. We've been blessed, our socks have been blessed off, and we've suffered, and blessed, and suffered, and it's like, I can't take this rocking boat anymore. You think you could send me to Iowa and calm the waters a little bit? Influence is no accident. The influence you have been given in the lives of others is no accident, and I see some of you have influence with others, and I don't think you know you have that influence. You have influence with a lot of people. You you are in this church today. I guarantee you you have influence with somebody. God has given you the ears of whatever whoever these other people are for a purpose. Allow him to use you where you are for his glory. And as I bring it home this morning, I want to share with you a quote by a dude named Lance, I'm sorry, Vance Havner. Vance Havner. This is an old school preacher from North Carolina. He passed in 1986. You can see sometimes I really get going on the research. <laughs> I'm gonna say it to you twice. So for the first time, just absorb it. Just listen to this. I thank God for the unseen hand, sometimes urging me onward, sometimes holding me back, sometimes with the caress of approval, sometimes with the stroke of reproof, sometimes correcting, sometimes comforting. My times are in his hand. I'd like to take this on as my personal mission statement. My personal ta-da. I, I'm gonna, you know, try to get some handy old gal to stitch it into a a quilt or something. Put it on a plaque. Listen to it again. In light of everything I shared with you so far this morning, I thank God for the unseen hand, sometimes urging me onwards, sometimes holding me back, sometimes with the caress of approval, sometimes with the stroke of reproof, sometimes correcting, sometimes comforting. My times are in his hands. Would you agree with me that we desperately need people of vision today? I think we need for people who are in touch with God, for people who are moved by God, and people who are on the move for God. We need that kind of people in our churches, our families, and our communities. Those are the people who will be used to change our world in these last days. So now the question that we all face today is, do you want to be one of these people? If you do, then you need to realize that God has you living in these days for a purpose. Then <clears throat> you need to get in touch with Him. You need to get before Him. If you don't ever get down on your knees, today's that day. And you don't do it in public, you don't do it you'd privately. Get on your knees in front of God and ask Him to give you that assignment. Ask Him that you can catch His vision, see the purposes fulfilled. God will use you if you will give Him you to use. It's not in my notes. I'm done, but I want to share a story to emphasize the point. I've told you this story. I know I have. Everywhere I go, I tell this story, and I have for 20 years. I might have even told this story two or three times here. In the mid 1800s, there was a tightrope walker from France, and his name was something like Claude, oh, but he went by the name Blondin because of people that talk like me. Blondin was the biggest thing in the country. Every newspaper would carry stories about Blondin and his exploits. And he was the greatest tightrope walker to ever live. And he was the first one to string a tightrope up across Niagara Falls. And 10,000 people came out to see him walk across the falls. And so Blondin walks across the tightrope and everybody, he gets to the other side and everybody's just cheering. They're just screaming. And Blondin quieted him down. And he said these words, he's quieting him down. He goes, and he's just this great showman. And he goes, I am Blondin, do you believe in me? And 10,000 people went nuts. We believe, we believe, we believe. And he quiets him down again. He goes, listen, I'm gonna go back across the falls. And this time I'm gonna carry a human being on my shoulders. Do you believe I can do that? And they just lost their minds. We believe, we believe. And then he said, which one of you will be that human being? And it got kind of quiet. <laughs> one guy got out of the crowd, got on Blondin's shoulders, and they went back across the falls. You know who that guy was? That was Blondin's manager. Can you imagine that gig? Hey, if nobody steps up, it's you, dude. You know. <laughs> he did it more than once, because he knew Blondin wasn't going to fall. The odds of Blondin falling were so astronomically low. Blondin used to sit down on the tightrope and he had a little you know, backpack satchel, it's 1850s, and he'd pull out a little thing with a little skillet and a little flame, and he'd cook eggs. Blondin was incredible. This man that got on his shoulders had traveled all over the world with Blondin and he knew he was safe. So when God says to you, as you're saying, I believe, Lord, I believe. And he says, who will be that human being? You say, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you and praise you. I ain't got much to give but you got everything I got. My heart breaks for our nation. My heart breaks for the lost souls, especially those who are lost in churches who have no clue because some loser theologian has told them that your word no longer applies. Lord, break through the clutter. Strengthen your remnant church for such a time as this. And let us, with truth and love, continue to reach out, continue to just make your name great, and continue to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We believe, Lord, we believe. Be with us now and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Salvaged by God is the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Danielson out of Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. For more of Chris's teaching and a couple podcasts you might like, go to freshroadmedia.com.